this is Jock McDonald uh, coming to you live uh, from uh, an ice chest in Burnaby, British Columbia. It's awfully cold in here, but you're going to be hearing some hot stuff here on Life Source. And welcome to episode 49 of Light Source, the official podcast of StudioLighting.net, the website introducing photographers to portrait and studio lighting equipment and techniques. I'm Bill Crawford, publisher. And I'm Ed Hidden, exclusive photographer and image inspector with iStockphoto.com. On this episode, today we interview uh, Jock McDonald. That's uh, J-O-C-K-M-C-D-O-N-A-D-L dot com. And he is a commercial photographer, and we are going to talk with him about some of his techniques. He has some really interesting ideas with uh, capturing witty portraits, and he was interesting to talk with, especially since I'm familiar with some of his work. So it's it's always fun to interview someone that you're you're familiar with beforehand. Yeah, and speaking of being a fun interview, I I think I have to say he was one of the more entertaining guys that we've got the chance to hang out with. <laughs> uh, da da comrade. Yeah. <laughs> Little little joke there that will make more sense in a few minutes for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but um it was really good. Jock had a lot of really cool insights, I thought. It definitely, and it's it's gotten me thinking a bit more about the uh the psychology of taking photos and one thing that always comes up with whoever we're talking about, it's it's all about breaking down the barriers with your subject and or getting them comfortable with yourself because that's gonna come across in the film. I, I I'm going to have to start writing these quotes down, but the one that keeps always coming into my mind is photograph is a good conversation where the camera just happened to be in the middle of the way. Yeah, that's excellent. So, I mean, that that's the one thing that always kind of comes into my mind when I'm shooting these days. All of the different techniques that people talk about, about getting to know their subjects and stuff. I think it's really important. And Jock has a lot of really good advice. So stay Definitely. tuned. As far as news that's going on, obviously the, the new Canons and Nikons are hitting the market. And it seems like Olympus and Sony don't want to be left out of the game, and they're announcing their new cameras as well. Yeah, I did see that there was a couple of announcements by those companies. Some really nice cameras are coming out, man. Well, the new Sony, which is the DSLR A700, is going to be a 12-megapixel CMOS with five frames per second shooting and many, many other features. And this is pre-announcement on it, not really... Uh, too much information that's out there, and to be quite honest, I've kind of ignored a lot of it because, one, I don't own Sony gear, and two, I am nowhere close to buying anything new. Yeah, it's hard to watch all these specs when you don't really have the funds to buy a new camera. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm seriously doing my hardest not to get camera envy. But you and I are pretty good at justifying uh, upgrades, you know. The, yeah, the large true. sensors that are coming out mean that you can sell bigger images on iStock. This is true. <laughs> well, speaking of announcements, we have an uh, announcement to make tonight about a new contributor at StudioLighting.net. Ah, yes. His name is, not to be confused with me, that's Ed Baumgarten. Yeah, we figured that we couldn't have too many Eds, so we invited Ed to, to join us. And if any of you haven't been over to StudioLighting.net to check out his articles, he's a great compliment to the site because he's writing about DIY stuff. Well, you know what I've always said, Bill? Two Eds are better than one. <laughs> well, in this case, I think you're absolutely right. Ed's got some really cool articles up already, and we look forward to some more. I love this one. I'm looking at it right now, the DIY boom arm reflector holder, because I've struggled with that myself and thinking, oh, I should should come up with something. And because I, I don't feel like spending $50 on some of the ones that I've seen in the various online places. Right. Plus, it's always fun to you know be out in the garage drilling metal and stuff like that. So love being out in the garage. <laughs> so wanted to welcome Ed today. We also published a new episode of Digital Photography One on One with our friend Mark Wallace from snapfactory.com. Mark's tackling one of the questions that we get asked most often at studiolighting.net, and that is, what kind of equipment should I buy? So if that's a question that's on your mind, you definitely want to head out and check out the new episode of Digital Photography One-on-One, -on -One, the video tutorial on our website. Does he go into how you can convince your wife that you need to buy it? I think, you know what, it's a three-part series, and I'll try to make sure that at least one of those parts addresses that exact issue <laughs> oh, that's because that would be very valuable information to some people I that know. is that's critical isn't it 
Well, some other stuff going on on the site. In the new section, Capture 1.4 is a beta version that's currently available. And you can check that out at phase1.com, B-H-A-S-E-O-N-E.com. I've played around with previous versions, and I might have to go download this one tonight because I've I've always been very impressed with the, the Phase 1 software. And isn't it one of the few pieces of software that allows you to shoot tethered? It is one of the few pieces that lets you shoot tethered. Now, that would be for the Capture One Pro version, which is fairly pricey. The Capture One LE version, which is basically just a raw converter, retails for about $99. That does not include the actual capture portion. You have to upgrade to the Pro version to get that. Got it. And that one, I don't want to quote a price, and I'm not looking at it right now, but I do know that it was over 200 Well, cool. There is another site feature that you were telling me about. It's the little link there on the left-hand side under our glorious picture in the Late Source podcast section. It says, leave us a voicemail. Yeah, we, we wanted to give this a shot. This is with through a company called Jackster, and some of you guys may already have you know voicemail set up through Jackster, but quickly to describe how that works, when you click that button, it gives you a phone number to call to leave us a voicemail. And then we can check the website and get voicemail messages from it. We just thought that would be a cool way for you guys to ask us questions or leave comments about the show. And if they're good enough, we may even be able to use them on the next episode. So head on over and click that button and, and tell us what you think. I'll have to send you all kinds of messages, Bill. Yeah, just no heavy breathing or anything like that. You know, be weird. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, probably one last little bit of news. Um, there's been a lot of talk on our forum about when we are going to do the Light Source Live. And we are going to do it, the first one, uh, October 6th. That is 2007. I know that the timing is coming up fairly quickly. It's going to be a limited audience. We're going to do no more than eight registrants for the, the beta workshop. And we'll see how that goes with the space that I have in my studio and see if we can have more or if we need to have less and see what you guys think about it. We will put a itinerary for the workshop up on studiolighting.net and a link to the registration. And uh, like I said, it's going to be limited attendance for right now. And we'll see how things go for this first one and see where we go from there. And hopefully there'll be lots more to come after that, because I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Definitely. I think it's a it's another great way to to reach our audience and spend some time with you guys. Actually, the plan is to do a fair amount of shooting on it. I want to make sure that everybody that attends gets a lot of time actually working with the lights, assisting the other photographers that are going to be there. And then everyone will rotate and take their turns of shooting and assisting and going to get some models on hand so there'll be actual people to work with and hopefully we can make some really cool images. Absolutely. And in the meantime, let's uh, get some inspiration from Jock. There we go. And on this edition of Light Source, we have with us this evening, Jock McDonald. He was born in Vancouver, Canada, and he is a, well, been a commercial photographer and Film and video as well, correct? That is true. And you've been doing this for about how many years now? 25, 30? Well, first, first of all, I want to say it's great to be on the show. I've been now uh, running my own business for 20 years, and I found that out because uh, I got some stickers that showed up in the mail that said, congratulations on 20 years of business. Can we sell you some stickers? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I love how those show up. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations. Well, we- yeah, thanks. I'll take it. <laughs> Well, you have some amazing images, and when I was looking through some of the uh, things on the website of yours at jockmcdonald.com, J-O-C-K-M-C-D-O-N-A-D-L.com, you want to follow along at home and follow some of the images we might be talking about. Some of them I recognize from CA, Communication Arts, and a number of photography magazines. Some of your work's been used in pro photo ads. So it's it's really exciting to actually get to talk to you. And the one that we're going to be talking about a little bit later in that pro photo ad was, is one of my favorite pro photo ads that I've seen. It just, it it makes me laugh every time I've seen it. (laughs) Well, the title of that piece is called Canadian ice. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great, I'm I'm looking forward to talking to that one too. Well, I read on your, on your bio jock that you are self-taught. Can you tell us kind of how you got into photography and what that was like to, to go through that? 
Um, I will touch on that. I, I think that that reads as good copy, but it's just a bold-faced lie. Um, <laughs> I think that we uh, come into the world with a couple of parents and a bunch of teachers uh, through the course of our lives that care. I would say that I was self-taught in the sense that I went from doing you know, the yearbook stuff in high school to being a third assistant at 18, pretty much right out of high school, working in a commercial studio in San Francisco for a guy named David Tice. Uh, there was a period during that early start time where I was just left to my own devices, sort of, you know, like here's a broom and, and, and nobody was really giving me a bunch of information. And over a six year period, I went from being third assistant to being a studio manager. But I do want to temper that a little bit. I really need to acknowledge the mentors that have been in my life that have had a great influence on me. I think self-taught really means I never had any formal schooling in photography except in high school. Uh, you know, on the yearbook when they would basically say, that is a crap photo. Um, <laughs> and and you'd be like, well, why? Well, you know, the, the print is bad and, you know, there's it's all mid-tone or these kinds of things. But the mentors I've had in my life have made a vast difference. And David Tice was one of them, uh, Harrison Shepard, David Best, uh, who's now of Burning Man fame, uh, was a sculptor who had a lot to do with my formative years. And, and I think that what it really comes down to is that, I cannot learn sitting at a desk with someone sort of yammering away uh, at the head of the class, uh, you know, and it's uh, sort of an audio learning. I'm very much sort of hands-on type of learning. And that's what I, you know, after six years of uh, being in David Tyson's studio, I, that's what I got. He was so generous, I mean, in terms of the information about, you know, why you do reshoots, how you charge for them, you know, how you run the politics uh, of a business, which is important, you know, because, if you're getting an, a new client every job, you're spending too much time getting work. And he, you know, he taught me that. He's just the, the job at hand. I, I think that also pertains strongly to making one's own mistakes, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, is there filming the camera? Uh, no, uh, that was the warm up role. Um, <laughs> in, you know, thinking too fast and you get half a frame. Uh, you know, they're, they're all out there. Those, you know, those booby traps and, uh, I've made them more than twice, I think, all of them. That, that makes them uh, all the more painful, and they, they, they <laughs> the stick a little bit stronger. particularly. <laughs> yeah, so. I said I wasn't going to do this again. Yeah, you turn into Homer Simpson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now, having studio background, Jock, do you find that you still spend time in the studio? or you? I know it seems like a lot of your photos in your portfolio are natural light. Do you have a preference? Um, here's the truth is, you know, I, I went into photography, uh, in about 1980 and, uh, in those days, you know, there was sort of only one formula. As I recall, I assisted for a bunch of people, Terry Heffernan, Leon Lacash, and it, you know, everybody had their own studio, had clients, and that sort of seemed to be the formula. And so I pursued that formula for 15 years hard where I ended up with, you know, an 8,000 square foot studio, you know, beautiful, beautiful, beautiful which I called my manhood extender. Um, you know, it's like, God, he's got to be good. Look at the size of the studio. Um, and, and, and it just became a drag to have all the overhead, all uh, the small business headaches that you get, you know, from workman's comp to state tax to, you know, all that stuff. And then having to basically be responsible for all these people's lives and rent and, and uh, so I went from having, uh, being, you know, a studio photographer and, uh, strongly believing in that, to going to the idea that the whole world is my studio. You know, if you drop nice. a nine foot or a twelve foot white seamless on a sidewalk and light it, is that not a studio? And so I felt I, I didn't need the trappings anymore, and uh, you know, fired the cannon on a couple of kids, moved out of the city. I now work out of you know, I have a old rambly kind of money pit property, nineteen sixty three farmhouse, put a studio in the barn, and wow. it's quite magnificent now, but. Uh, the idea really for me went from the old school idea that you had to have a studio to prove that you were legit to that your work will prove that you're legit, I guess. And and I'm sort of stuck by that now for about the last five years. And I do shoot available light, which was once something I was terrified of. You know, it's like, call it available light. What will, what will that look like? <laughs> To the now where uh, I, you know, I, I incorporate both strobe with available light. I use available light if it's if it's really working, you know. And uh, so uh, I, you know, strongly believe in the kiss method to keep it simple, stupid. You know, it's like today I had a I got caught in a traffic jam going to a shoot, and instead of having you know an hour and ten minutes for prep, 
I was I was arriving after my portrait subjects in the botanical <laughs> gardens of San Francisco, and let me tell you, that really rubs me the wrong way. I wanted to blame my assistant, but it wasn't his fault. <laughs> <laughs> You know, and so, you know, they're like, they had to walk at five o'clock and I got there at about 10 after four, I had 50 minutes to load in gear, get lit. And, you know, they were amenable, but, you know, these are people that donate millions of dollars to, to the California Academy of Sciences. And they're busier than I am because uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that got their hands out wanting money and whatever else is going on in their lives. And I guess the point being is um, that I, I, I use it all now and I'm not afraid of it. A really dear friend of mine, Al Farrow, when I asked him when I was a young man and searching for answers, I, I said, how do you get a style? And he looked me squarely in the eye and he said, you take enough pictures, you'll have a style. <laughs> That's a great response. <laughs> and, and you know what? He's right. I mean, after a time, your voice comes out, you know? I, I really like that. Uh, I like that advice. And it still, I think, holds true uh, even to this day, you know, about how to, how to become unique. Well, in that process of getting to the point where you are unique, do you find that it's good advice to uh, up-and-coming photographers to do anything in particular, like mimic other people's styles, just to get an idea and flavor of what can and can't be done and then interpret it into your own? Or, or... I'm going to uh, come clean here. I spent a good two years, I would say, really trying to emulate Irving Penn's work. And uh, the highest compliment that you could ever end up in that situation for me, which never happened, was that looks just like an Irving Penn photograph. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it never happened. But what did come out of that was a great appreciation for uh, Irving Penn's work and his structure of composition, which I just think is phenomenal. I used to take pieces of tracing paper and a ruler and, you know, run the diagonals and the third. You know what I'm talking about when I say, mm -hmm. you know, the thirds in a frame and both mm -hmm. horizontally and vertically and see where the PowerPoint of the composition were. And it was incredibly revealing about how he built his photographs, basically. So I think, it, I think it's a very strong thing to do if you do it consciously. For example, that if you end up with a whole portfolio of it, you're only going to be a follower and you won't end up having your own voice. But I think it can raise one's consciousness around what went into the photograph how difficult it can be, and, and, and I think if it really is successful, a person will find out that they are not the person they're trying to emulate, that they are unique in their own style, mm. for better or worse. You know what I mean? Um, right. I think that failure is a far better teacher than success. You don't forget failure. <laughs> you know, the girl that dumps you, you know, um, <laughs> the time when you don't get the job, but boy, did I have some good failures. You know? <laughs> <laughs> So I would say the, the, the short answer is yes, uh, but do it consciously, meaning you're not trying to fool anyone that you're copying. You're doing it very consciously and that perhaps it's not best suited for the portfolio unless it ends up being something that is really unique in your own voice. That's a great way to think about it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I usually give complete credit when I'm, when I'm blatantly copying someone. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> I have a photograph that I took that's not on the website, but it's a tricycle I hung over a black uh, pool of plastic, just a classic, you know, uh, red trike with white spoke wheels. And the pool that was, uh, it was suspended over is about 12 inches deep, lined with black visqueen. And it was in a studio, and I lit the, the tricycle, which was hung by fishing line, about a foot from the water. And I then only took the camera and was photographing the reflection of the tricycle. And I would move the water and photograph it as the water moved the reflection. And the title of the piece is Renee Magritte Coveting Salvador Dali's Tricycle. Uh. Um, and, you know, I think that's a good appropriate use of, oh, of cool. you know, as, as Pablo Picasso said, never borrow, only steal. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and actually, while we're talking about inspiration, there's a section on your website called Situations. First of all, they're really a lot of fun to look at. I just really wanted to let you know we appreciated checking out that portion of your portfolio. <laughs> but I, 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 I kind of have to know, where do you get these ideas? Are these all for the same client or just a collection of things that you've got that are just great fun? Well, the Situations is actually a term that I use about life. And what I like about the word Situations is it's so ambiguous. 
it, it can mean if this is a good situation, is this a bad situation? <laughs> is this a situation you don't want to be in? Uh, is this a situation you do want to be in? And, uh, I used to be in improv comedy when I was a younger man and more reckless. And one of the things that I learned about comedy is that it mostly comes out of disagreement. Conflict is funny. <laughs> uh, if I say to you, Ed, you know, Ed, would you go out on a date with me? I haven't had sex in months. <laughs> now, if you say yes, that's funny. But if you say no and I say, well, why not? You did it last time. <laughs> that's funny. And yeah, so but I don't situation... kiss on the first date, though. Well, <laughs> well, you did last time. <laughs> that wasn't me. You know, don't, get all, don't get all. Don't get all. Well, it was dark, you know, and you guys. I, I was a desperate man. <laughs> so it that, it comes out of that we're always in situations. Some of them are boring. Some of them are wonderful, and some of that. So it's sort of a life term. And although it's gotten better over the years, I'm quite dyslexic. So that means that information goes in, uh, you know, the quick brown fox jumped over the old lazy dog goes in, you know, the dog was being nasty with the fox. Be careful. <laughs> okay. So there's sort of a, a twistedness to the way I think about things. And there's an old saying that says sex sells. And I was hired by Hemlock Printers out of Burnaby, British Columbia, Canada, to do a promotion for them called A to Z, which is how Canadians pronounce Z. Actually, the, the, the correct pronunciation is eh to Z. So we illustrated, Ross McDonald did half of them, and he's an illustrator, and I did half of them that were photographs. And B was for beaver, and S was for Sasquatch, and you know, there's a whole bevy of these things. And I got into a little bit of a disagreement about I is for ice. I don't remember, I think it ended up being a beer shot. It was kind of boring. And I really, really wanted this image to be in it, and we were running out of time, and I didn't get to do it. What happens for me is, is if I really believe in something, I'm just going to go do it anyway. And if I had the chance, I would have done it while I was in Canada, but I didn't. And so I flew back up to Canada, and Mike, the guy in the, the freezer, is the press foreman for Hemlock Printers. Oh, no. <laughs> and um, I'm like, Mike, would you get down to, you know, your shorts and, uh, you know, jump in a cooler full ice? And he's like, oh, yeah, hey, I'll do that. I know. That's no problem, eh? And uh, I'm like, Mike, you're a hell of a guy, eh? And he's like, right, oh, I'm a guy, eh? I got to cool myself down because I'm pretty hot, eh? <laughs> I'm like, well, you better not be funning me, Mike, because I'm serious. So we found a little convenience store that he probably bought a lot of beer through, and the owner said, sure, okay. So he just rolled in there, and I, I did this shot with a pro photo because I wanted to get it done quick. And so I, basically, I'm just bouncing some light off the ceiling. It's not a big deal. And luckily, the fluorescents that are inside the cooler are bright. So, you know, I just dragged the shutter, little little strobe fill, and uh, called that that. And the thing that was so shocking to me is that Mike wasn't a boxer guy. He was wearing one of those Brazilian banana hammocks. Oh, no. <laughs> got, got in the freezer. And the gal behind the counter was totally checking him out. And uh, when we were all said and done, I said, well, do you want us to get rid of the ice? Gonna... And she's like, oh, no, that won't be necessary. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. So, I don't know, I think the, the health codes are a little looser in Burnaby, I'd say. British Columbia, Canada. That's a great image. So, yeah, so the oh. thing that came out of it then later was, and I, I think that one thing I can say after 20 years of doing it, if you've really got a good idea, go shoot the damn thing. You'll find a market for it. And then Pro Photo got a hold of, hold of me, and I'm a big fan of Pro Photo. I'm also a big fan of Bron Color, and I'm also a big fan of Ozoblot. But they said, well, you know, show us some of the stuff you shot on Pro Photo. I showed them that one. They're like, ah, we'd love to use that for an ad. I'm like, sure, all right, good, let's do it. <laughs> That's classic. I remember something about that story in the ad, too, and I was like, oh, I was like, we got to talk about that. <laughs> so, you know, not all Canadian ice is dirty. I'd just be a little cautious in Burnaby, British Columbia. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the word is lax. <laughs> I think I have some friends up there that I'm going to have to ask if they buy ice. <laughs> yeah. You know what they'll say? They'll say, oh, just quit your whining, eh? It's in plastic bags. <laughs> Shut your pie hole, you weirdo. Well, <laughs> there's actually a handful of funny images in there. And one of the things I wanted to ask you, Jock, because it seems you have a knack for it, is how do you work wit and, you know, humor into a portrait? I mean, if you have a, a, a subject who you often haven't met before, do you go into a shot thinking, I'm going to make this guy laugh or... Uh, I'm going to put them in one of these life situations. How how does that work in, in your process? 
Uh, great question. Um, I think that laughter is one of the greatest things on the planet. And an example of that is, is that after you've met somebody that you don't know, a stranger, you could be, you know, on, on a bar, on a street, a friend of a friend, you know, that once you laugh together, you've sort of broken the speed barrier of friendship or the beginnings of it. So when I'm going into a shoot, not every shoot is a ha-ha-ha, but I think that if when I'm working, you know, I'm using, let's say, synthetic lighting, I'm using, you know, large Allen crawl like I was today, you know, with this couple in this sort of rainforest part of the botanical gardens, and it has this synthetic feel about it because I don't know if everybody that's listening to the show has ever tried it, but how do you feel when someone points the camera at you? I know how I feel. I feel self-conscious. Mm. You know, um, I've got really little wrists. You know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I've got a scar that runs down my forehead that looks like I was attacked by um, a very aggressive person. And, you know, I, I worry about the details that they'll be amplified. And so if there's a way to break the ice and, you know, to, to make a laugh, it turns the emotion into a real emotion than just saying smile for the camera, which is a fairly obvious thing to say. An example of this for me would be um, one of the guys that I used to use to build props for me uh, is a guy named Jamie Hyman, and he is now the star of Mythbusters. I don't know I if you guys say, I know that show. Name. That's okay, great. so the guy in the beret is Jamie. And I had some free time, and, and periodically I get into a state where I haven't worked in a while, and I'll pick up a copy of Archive or something and then just use it to basically put on a hair shirt and lacerate myself and go, God, you know, I'm washed up, I'm done. <laughs> and so I was slow, and I'm like, the only way I can get out of that place usually is just to go take some pictures. And so I had this idea of taking a taxidermy eye from a deer and having Jamie wear it in one of his eyes, but the shadow side of his eyes. So you're like, you're like, wait a second, is that reasonable? What am I looking at? And Jamie's a pretty serious guy. And when I told him this on the phone, he's like, huh? I'm like, he's like, not funny to him. You know, he doesn't like it. He, so I just said, come on, Jamie, let's just do it. You can throw the thing in the trash later. I don't care. So we shoot the thing. I show him a Polaroid, and he, and he actually laughs. Nice. You know, so, so I think the way, you know, it's like somebody coming up to you or me or anybody and saying, say something funny right now. It, it, it's the most awkward thing. It's, a, it's not natural as a way, but situations are funny. Right. And, uh, you know, Philip Hausman had a great thing that wasn't necessarily funny, but it was just a fantastic thing. He had all of his portrait subjects that he did, I think at the end of his issue, jump for him. And he published a book called The Jump Book. So you get to see, you know, Marilyn Monroe jumping and Salvador Dali, you know, that famous jump shot with the water and the cat and the easel, you know, that image? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So that was all part of his jumpology thing. And another photographer I know, you know, always traveled with a set of the Groucho Marx nose and glasses and had everybody wear that thing, you know, from Gene Autry and, and that. And, you know, those you sound a little gimmicky, but you know what? There's a little kid in all of us. And I think we all kind of long for it and pine for it. And, and it, it's why people maybe drink a little too much to, to be silly, but it's there. It, it exists. Um, and it doesn't need alcohol to bring it out. I think it just needs somebody to say, Hey, how about it? Right. And if the person says no, I mean, I kind of got a reputation for a while as being a, a pushy, you know, P A H U C K E R, um, <laughs> where I would just keep, you know, why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? You know, until finally they would do it. But that's not a very kind thing to do. So I think the way to go about it is, you know, if you got some funny idea for a shoe, why not, man? We're just going to all end up dead anyway. Why not try for it? <laughs> I love that response. Yeah, I mean, I mean, life is sometimes really bloody difficult. But if we're not having fun, something's wrong. I mean, I mean, a photographer or participating in photography, whether you're an amateur or a professional or, or a serious, you know, whatever that is for you, God, it, it's just it's just bloody fun, and there's a real power to the frozen image. I used to believe that because of the way MTV was being edited, that the still photography and photographer was going to die because mm -hmm. the attention span was going to require the moving image so that billboards would be like mini-movies. And here's the thing that I've come to believe, is that the still photographs become even more powerful because we are in such need of being slowed down 
and it's the one thing that 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 does it for us. You know, we look at a a, a wonderful old picture or portrait of our mother or our father or you know even of of ourselves taken on vacation. That's just right and beautiful, and we're happy. It's a treasure, you know. And if God, if God help, if your house ever burns down, it's those things you can't replace. You know, they're frozen memories, and that's power. You know, that's a real powerful thing you're dealing with. Not meaning master of the universe, just something that matters. Right. It's a very good point, and I never even really thought about it that way, is that, like you were saying, everything in the, I always called it the the fast food or microwave culture. It's like everything is, you know, 30 seconds or less. You know, it's like boom, boom, boom. Right. But you're right. It seems like the more that, you know, digital cameras are getting cheaper and better and getting into everybody's hands, and a lot of these web services are showing up like Flickr and even these social networks, it seems like there are more and more and more still photos. And I think you might be onto something there about the, it's making you stop and slow down. It can. Here's another, the opposite story. My wife and I are in Paris. I really wanted to take a portrait of her where the Eiffel Tower is a hat on her head where she's just cracking up with sunglasses. It's just for me. I just think it's funny. And my wife doesn't want to do it. (laughs) So I I have to badger her and promise her a great lunch or something. I can't remember what I did. But she doesn't like to model for me. So she does it. We get there. There's an American couple that's there. And he's directing uh, his wife or his girlfriend. I don't know who she is. And, you know, Turn a little to the left. Okay, no, no, right. And then, and then he takes a picture, and she comes running over, and they look at the screen on the back of the camera, and they go, look, we're in Paris, while they're looking at the screen. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you don't need the, that to validify the fact that you're in Paris. I mean, uh, it, it was, that was a funny moment. To that me. is like, funny. Huh. <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I still shoot 35-millimeter uh, colored neck film in a Contax D3, which is a little point-shoot camera with a Zeiss lens, and when I get the the, 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 the film process to the great little place in San Francisco called Oscars, uh, I get three sets, and I send them to friends in the mail, and we keep a huge basket of photos on our um, den table. And you. people sit down and just start going through it, and it's a life. That basket is a life. You know, you see the kids being born, you see that, you know, my wife wanted to have a baby shower where you came in drag as your, you know, your favorite mother. So, you know, friend's name is Mother Nature and Aunt Jemima. And, I mean, it's a riot. And that's not the same as sending it via email. No, it's not. It's not. Really? And people are like, wow, this is so cool. And you can do that. You can print stuff out that you shoot, you know, on those servers. And, and I would recommend it because then you've got a legacy there, whether you have kids or not. But to send somebody something that they can frame is a real gift. Definitely. That's a great way to think about it. Along the same sort of lines about capturing people in in photos and freezing time, you have a couple of really striking portraits in your portrait section too. And I was wondering if you could talk about one in particular that we we touched on a little bit before we began recording this episode. You said it was with an 8x10? Oh, you're talking about uh, the portrait of Robin Williams. Yeah, that one is, as I just browse through this section that really strikes me and you made me really interested in it when you mentioned that you took it with that type of camera. What's the story with yeah, that shot? So the, the story of that, it was, uh, it was for TV guide and, uh, they wanted to, you know, they told me one of the marching instructions just get, you know, get a portrait of Robin, you know? And, uh, I'm like, okay. And I have a strong, uh, affection for an eight by 10 view camera. I don't use it a lot, but I do use it and I like it. So, I called Robin's representative and uh, said, I'm going to Robin's porch with an 8x10 view camera. And you know, the guy's a sharp cookie. He's like, you'll never get Robin to sit still for that damn thing. <laughs> uh, he gets really hyper in front of a camera, and it's part of who he is. And uh, good luck, basically, is what he said. <laughs> and, uh, and at that moment, I was like, huh, okay. He gave me a valuable piece of information. And I'm like, all right, I know what I'm going to do. And it had nothing to do with the story or anything. What I went out and did is I went and purchased a real monocle with glass in it. And I, I tried it in my own eye, and I, I figured out very quickly, you can't thrash around with a monocle in your eye. It falls out. <laughs> and I knew that Robin is a professional. And if I asked him, you know, I really want to do this portrait with a monocle in your eye, that he would oblige to a certain degree. I don't, you know, it's not 
making them look bad or this, that, or the other. And it, it brings up what I call one of the a strong components, which is the psychology around taking pictures. It's a very important tool about how a person interacts with another person with a camera present. I like to say that a great portrait is a wonderful conversation that happens to have a camera present. That's awesome. That the, the camera isn't the emphasis. The relationship is. And, and that was a bit of psychology. I'm going to use a, a monocle to stop Robin Williams from thrashing around <laughs> so that I can do the swings and tilt. And that picture, although I did shoot film on it, that portrait is an 8x10 color Polaroid. Wow. That's neat. That ended up being. And the thing that was also great, which is also the great thing about digital, is the size of it, the tangibility of it, and the almost instantaneousness of it. That you get to see it within less than, you know, a minute and 30 seconds. You're peeling off this 8x10 image. And the camera is quite, in this day and age particularly, like, what the hell is that thing? There are some young people that don't have any idea what it is. They're like, you know, what is that, a music box? Where, you know, you know, was that a squeeze box? What the hell is that thing? Where's the monkey? And it, so it commands respect. <laughs> so, you know, that it did work. Robin, the, he was hilarious, though. He put the monocle in his eye, and he launched into a one-man, three-person skit where he's playing the gay submarine commander, <laughs> the gay submarine commander's mother, and the first mate. And I couldn't take any pictures. I mean, no one could get anything done. It was so naughty and so outrageous. And then, and then he said, well, that's enough of that. And then we got, you know, I, I probably took maybe only about 10 frames of him. And out of those, three of them were Polaroid. And as it turned out, the second Polaroid was it. That is so cool. I do give, I do spend time thinking about who is the person that I'm going to be photographing. You know, the couple I was photographing that give millions to the museum or, you know, a lot of vast sums of money. My psychology with them was to be outrageous in a sense. You know, talk in a Russian accent and say, I'm sorry, I don't understand what you just said. You're a very complicated person. <laughs> and they would say it slowly. And I said, that's much better, comrade. Are you, are you communist? Because I did not work for me very well. I get shabby clothing and I like Nike. <laughs> <laughs> Random stuff. And they just start laughing. They're like, who the hell is this guy? Because no one is like that around them. That's and <laughs> they can't fire me. <laughs> They can walk off the set, but, you know, my friend Craig Frazier, who's a wonderful illustrator, says freelancers spend more time being unemployed than employed. So if you can, you know, get to that place where you're like, wow, they can only fire me once, and I have to go find work anyway. So I don't really <laughs> there you go. a little bit. <laughs> Freeze you up a little bit to, to have some fun. Yeah, I love a good, you know, Russian accent. It goes back to, you know, Rocky and Bullwinkle for me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can just see Bill and I on our next shoot. Yep. Don't hand me the grid, please. <laughs> me the Wait, grid. That's always... Wait, that's Boris Karloff. Yeah, Boris Karloff is good, though. Any accent is good. And then when you finally drop it, they're like, you mean you're not Russian? <laughs> you're like, no, I'm not Russian. I'm Canadian. <laughs> yeah, that's classic. Eh? Right, oh, eh? What are you looking at there, Buttercup? Well, I'm starting what's to see how. Have to more eat more bars. <laughs> Why do you go chew on some ice because you can't get any girls, eh? <laughs> Never know where that ice has been, eh? <laughs> That's right. I'd oh, be sitting on some my. I'm starting to get the hang of how, how you connect with your uh, portrait subjects here a little bit. <laughs> this is fun. <laughs> well, bad well, continue. Speaking of connecting with your subjects, you have a, a big section of, of kids on your website. Oh, yeah. Kids are the best. Because <laughs> kids don't lie to you. They either <laughs> burst into tears, crap their pants, laugh, I mean, kids are so honest when it comes to emotions. If you ever spend time with them, you know, there's a certain point where they start to lie and deceive you, but uh, that's sort of one of the teenage years, I think. But, um, you know, I just, I really love to photograph kids. I, it just, it's fast and furious, and uh, it, it's just a ball to do it, you know, that they'll give you an honest laugh, they'll give you, you know, uh, and I'm repeating myself here, but they're just, they're just honest. Uh, I just directed a television commercial, which is a little off the subject, but you know, I, I pulled an old director's trick where I needed a kid, a seven-year-old kid, to be pissed off at me. So I kept him waiting for three hours. <laughs> By the time I pulled him out of the set, he's pissed. Perfect. Go with it. Wow. 
Yeah, I mean, deal with it, you know. (laughs) I don't think that's fair to do in all circumstances, but I really needed an honest performance from him, and I didn't need just one frame. I needed, you know, a good four seconds of this. You know, with kids, is setting up a, a circumstance where, depending on their age, pretty much any age, they don't care that it's a photo session. It doesn't matter to them. So my sister is in child psychiatry, and she gave me some strong pointers, which is kids like rules. Oh, wait, wait, I was being they, a they like rules? Yeah, they do like rules. Well, <laughs> some people call them boundaries, but they're rules. And so this will be a good piece of information. An example of this was I was working on a Borders Books campaign, and one of the kids that was cast was this stunning little five-year-old girl with green, green eyes and just beautiful skin and hair. And she came to the shoot, and I was you know, just using a 12 by 12 silk with sunlight through it where she's just sitting at a picnic table. It's just you know, leaning on her arm or something. And she sits down for about two seconds and says, I don't want to do this. Now, I don't have another kid for this shoot. I didn't hire backup. She was it. And I said, okay, here, stand up. Come over here with me. And she said, okay. I said, we're going to play super jumping. And she's like, what's super jumping? I said, I'm going to tell you after you sit down and we work for a little bit. Then I'm going to show you what super jumping is. She's like, okay. She goes and sits down. And I take two frames of her. And she goes, can we do super jumping now? I said, no, I get to take 12 pictures. But just rest your hand on your face. And I want you to look right at the camera, just right here. All right? Are you paying attention? And she's looking right at the camera, and she's just perfect. I take 12 pictures, one roll of film. I say, now we're going to do super jumping. You've got to keep your word to kids. She gets up. Super jumping is when you, you run along. You've got your hands under their armpits. And you run with them, and then you say, jump. And they jump, and you carry them as far as you can. <laughs> That's awesome. In one huge jump. And then they go crazy. They're like, do it again, do it again, <laughs> do it again. I said, I'm going to do it one more time, and then we have to work a little bit, take 12 more pictures, and then we'll do some more super jumping. Those are rules. And kids respond to it because they're having fun. That's great. And that works. I'm going to try that on my two-year-old. <laughs> it won't work. You're related. <laughs> no, I'm going to try super jumping with Bill. Oh, you are? Okay. Oh, Bill will love it. But you know what? Don't let that define your relationship because you could get trapped. <laughs> Come on, Bill. 12 frames and then we can super jump. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think it would work on your kid. Yeah, I'm going to have to give it a shot. The emphasis, you're taking the emphasis on the, the desired result. It's a power struggle is what you're breaking down, right? I want you to do this for me because I got the camera and I'm making the rules and I'm telling you what to do and this is what I want. That's not fun. That's not even fun as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Except maybe Bill likes it. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. Where are we going next? Well, I did. I did want to ask since we're since I'm kind of looking at some of these child portraits while we're while we're at it. It just seems like a lot of your photography actually is really impacting in the area of Keller. Do you? concentrate on that or is that just a is that a decision that you're making putting a lot of time into as you go into each image or not well um not bad for a man with uh, you know color blindness really um <laughs> yeah i am colorblind in the blue greens um oh. i think color matters i i just like what i would sort of call natural color i guess greens and reds and yellows and blues i wouldn't say that i spend a lot of time looking at it in a sense I'm like talking about the the the, the ice image what mattered to me on that image is just sort of the layout of the store. I liked that they had the lotto. But the, the truth of the matter is about that Canadian ice shot is I had one location. They let me use that place, uh, I think, for 100 bucks. You know, and, and I, do a lot, I do a lot of my own scouting. I, I use also professional scouts uh, on big jobs. But I, I don't know. I just I like building that. I, the short answer is, I do pay attention to it because it's going to end up in the shot, but I don't gnash my teeth over it too much. The way I look at it is it's either right or wrong. And it's a, it's a, it's a lot of times it's a gut thing. And, uh, and as I did say, I'm telling the truth. I am colorblind in the blue-green spectrum. I just It's sort of one color for me. I look forward to never working again now that this is going out publicly. Oh, in the world. <laughs> and um, I'm signing off now, and I'm going to go I'll become a painter. Um, <laughs> Color matters, but I, I wouldn't say that I really spend hours and hours and hours thinking about it. But I do sketch on a little book. I like stripes on kids. I don't like logos. I don't like too much busy patterns and clothing. Keeping the directness of an image matters to me, I think. So. Okay, great. Well, uh, talk a little bit about some of the 
uh, lighting equipment that you use. Well, you mentioned Pro Photo Gear, but I, I'm thinking in more t- more in terms of like favorite modifiers or that sort of thing. Do you reach for the same softbox each time or no? Okay, no, uh, because I bore easily. I also believe that if I'm always using the same lighting, I'm doing something wrong. I guess. I mean, I do. I have two Allen Chromes that I use. I have a, a 20 by silk, a 12 by silk, an 8 foot silk, and a 6 foot silk that I use. I love Braun Color. Uh, I love Pro Photo. I think they're just solid tanks, hard working gear. Sometimes I will literally just put a raw head fairly high in a stand and let the thing go. You know, no light shaper on it. It gives an incredibly surrealistic look to things. Uh, you know, I've used Ring Flash, I don't use Kino Flows. I think that what I'm really spending my time looking at after the sort of ABCs are done of location and wardrobe and who who it is we're shooting is real emotion or, you know, something that's going on in there that uh, is funny or, or something that we, that we, me, first of all, I guess, really identify as being honest to a certain level. Uh, I think being lied to isn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) So, no, I'm not always reaching for the same thing. I do shoot on Canon and Nikon, both those systems for digital, and I have used the Leaf and other uh, digital backs that go on it. I am skeptical about the archive abilities long-term on digital storage information right. because I'm old enough to remember 8-track tape and right. the floppy disk and records. And, you know, the retrievability factor is worrisome to me a little bit. So, you know, on this job I'm shooting lately, half of it I shot digitally, and the other half, because I thought it was important, I shot on film, because it's unarguably a stable medium to, you know, to put it on. Sure. And that's how I think about it. And I also like what film brings to the dance. It brings a color palette, it brings a grain structure, it brings a look. And when you shoot digitally, you have to give it that look, which there's nothing wrong with that. And I also think that film is kinder. You know, I've seen my face taken on a leaf back, just my face and thing, and I'm like, good God, man. <laughs> mine that face for the rest of eternity. The blackhead, good God. I mean, it's just, it's just terrifying that it, there's that much information. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, yeah, it's unkind. Um, my eyes aren't that sharp. Yeah, that's true. I guess that kind of leads me to begin to think about how your post-production process works. Do you spend a lot of time with your digital files? Um, I try to get it uh, in the file if I can. But you know what? Yes, there is time spent you know, on the processing and the look of it and, and to get it to a place that feels you know, sympathetic, kind, and appropriate and, and uh, truthful, I guess, would be another word I would use. So Great. that does happen. Also, I love the liberty of film for those reasons. That, you know, once you shoot it, and then, yeah, you can work the print. I, I've really fallen in love with Color Neg again, although I've been shooting some transparency stuff for, for Kodak, which is one of my clients for a while. There's liberty in that. I'm not tethered to the Mac, you know, right. where I'm inside at a set distance being a ones and zeros slave. Now, it sounds like I'm bashing it. I'm not. They're both very fine ways of working. I think also I probably suffer uh, from ADD, and there's a wonderful old joke that, you know, making fun of myself, says, how many ADD children does it take to change a light bulb? Ed? The light bulb was... You want to ride bikes? (laughs) I mean, I think that there's that going on for me where I'm not good at sitting, again, like, you know, not being good in class, sitting at a desk, grinding it out, you know? So a lot of times I'll hire a digital tech to do it, just stand over their shoulder and turn into, you know, the Canadian Fuhrer or something. I don't know. and one thing I would like to point out about that as a workflow thing is there I am, you know, with a laptop or, you know, sometimes I travel with a big monitor and we're shooting tethered and the images are coming up right away. I am no longer the captain of the ship, really, because everyone can stand around the monitor throwing criticisms, ideas, That's a you know, point. at it. Hmm. Versus when I'm the only guy looking through the film camera. I'm the one that's driving that. And I don't get into a second-guessing game about what's being done. And many times I have to solve the problems working digitally when we end up in a 45-minute conversation about red shirt or green shirt. (laughs) I say, let's shoot both. Because I I just can't argue it anymore. I hadn't thought of that, but that's a really good point. There's a lot of situations where you're working an image in your mind and you don't want all that input. (laughs) Yeah, and, and I don't like... 
I, I'd be real honest here. I don't like somebody casting doubt on it on the shoot. Is, do you think that's right? You know, uh, you know, and there are appropriate times when they're like, do you think that tangent is a good thing where the girder is touching the head right there? That's a great comment. Whereas somebody might just say, does, does this feel right to you? Or it's just this ambiguous kind of, you know, right. ooh, you know, God, maybe you're right. I should never become a photographer. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't yeah. felt right for a long time. Right. Especially... Oh, the models are the worst. They can see the monitor. You know, you have to go hide the monitor. They're always looking at the monitor, not looking in the camera. <laughs> Uh, you know, I want them looking through, uh, you know, at me through the glass saying, I love you, John. Sort of mouthing it very sexy-like. Talk to the camera. Yeah, and that, and that's the dog. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> an animal. Before we're done here, you have a workshop that's coming up uh, next month and the following month. Uh, it is called The Art of Seeing, a photography workshop with Jock McDonald. Do you want to tell us a little bit about it? Uh, it looks like participation yes. is fairly limited, so we want to make sure that all those people are light source listeners. Yeah, <laughs> it's... First off the bat, uh, it's limited to eight people. I haven't done any workshops in a long time, maybe seven or eight years. Uh, I was asked to do it with a, for a couple of other people that would be pleased to do it. It's going to be held in Sonoma, California in my studio barn. It will be a hands-on digital workshop, not just talking about the digital process, but uh, the thing that's so great about digital is that you can go work and then, you know, review work after doing it. Talking about composition, you know, lighting, uh, the philosophy around uh, photography and uh, psychology around photography. It's open to anybody who's interested. You've got to bring your own gear. You've got to have your own digital camera. We'll have a digital tech there. It's a great place to shoot out here. Uh, accommodation not included. It's three days. And we're going to all sit down and eat together, uh, hopefully out of uh, our garden, uh, fresh fruit out of the garden here on the property. Excellent. Based on this conversation, it, it's, uh, it's got to be a cool workshop. I know we've had a lot of fun just chatting with you tonight, and I can only imagine three days worth. It'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, well, uh, and the workshop information is on jockmcdonald.com, and you'll click under workshop, and that's where you'll find the, the stats. And uh, Bill and Ed, you guys are good. You're, you're men with hearts of gold. And uh, uh, I read that on a restroom wall, actually, about you guys. And uh, that's kind of awkward. Um, but thank you for having me on the show. It's been uh, dynamic. Absolutely. Thank you for your time tonight, Jock. I appreciate it. You're welcome. I enjoyed it. Well, that's all we have for this episode of LightSource, the brightest podcast on the internet. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode and all the other LightSource episodes at the website studiolighting.net. And you can also send us an email comment at studiolighting at gmail.com when you can send us comments, questions, or just images that you'd like us to see. And if you really want to get involved with some of the other listeners to the show, you can head over to the LightSource Flickr group at www.flickr.com slash groups slash light source you can post your images and get feedback on your photography as well as seeing the things that we're taking pictures of and as always if you missed any of these links our quick outro here you can find all of that and more at www.studiolighting.net till next time bye-bye Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com. Some really nice cameras are coming out, man. Definitely. It, it's definitely making the um, me say definitely a bunch more times. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's, it's definitely... <laughs> there you go again. <laughs> It it, de- <laughs> it makes decisions harder when you're trying to. Uh... <laughs>